You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, The many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, hello. It's great to see you all again. And we are going to continue plodding through uh, Romans tonight. It just feels like chapter 5 is the chapter that will not die. It will not go away. So this is our third week in it. So hopefully we'll get through it tonight. We'll go on to chapter 6 next week. No, we won't because we're a guest preacher. More about that later. So we've always got a way of halting progress here at CU. So it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we're, here we are in the second half of uh, chapter 5. And the question before us uh, this evening is, the question before us this evening is, who can counter our condemnation? Who can counter our uh, condemnation? And here, uh, in these first few verses, uh, uh, Paul answers that question. And the reason why he's answering this question, or this passage answers that question, is because he wants to rub in what he's just argued in the first half of Romans chapter 5, right? Remember, always have in the back of your mind that he's trying to unite the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian together as one in the gospel. And a big thing that he needs to wrestle out is how powerful, how comprehensive uh, this righteousness that comes by faith is. How important salvation by grace is. Remember the first half of Romans chapter 5? We stand in grace and we boast in... Dang, we'll have to go back and do that again. We stand in... And we boast in... Yeah, we stand in grace and we boast in hope. It's all about grace. That's what the title of the series is. It's all about grace. 
And now he wants to rub it in even more. And so he goes on to this uh, next sentence here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that man is Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned, so also life has come to all people through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to say. And he wants to sort of rub in what he's just said in the first half of Romans chapter 5. Why is he saying that? Because he wants us to understand that we are properly dead in our sin. And so he refers to the fact that there's this meta-sin, this meta-condemnation that is so far above us and out of our control that there is no way that we can get out from underneath it. So therefore, he talks about this first man, Adam. Just as there's this meta-sin, this meta-condemnation, this meta-problem that predates you by literally thousands of years, perhaps many, many more than that, It requires a meta-solution. The one man, Jesus Christ. Remember that uh, movie? I don't know. Maybe you've seen the movie Princess Bride. It feels like this is, you know, this is a Christian favourite. This one, every youth group on planet Earth has watched Princess Bride. The only vaguely okay G-rated movie that you can show to teenagers. Um, And in that that movie, there's that scene. Where is it? Um, I can't... I can never quite get his name right. Prince Hump- Humperdinck? Pr- Pr- Prince Humperdinck is dead and he's brought to Magic Max, who's this miracle. Have I? What's, what's, what's his name? Is he? Oh, yeah, it is, it's Wesley. That's right. That's right. We need to watch this again. It's been too long. <laughs> it's been too long. Anyway, yeah, he's dead. But, you know, this miracle worker goes, he's not, he's not all dead. He's just mostly dead, right? He says, he's just mostly dead, not all dead. And so, therefore, I can revive him. I can bring him back to life. And what Paul is wanting to say here is, let's just be clear here. Let's just be here clear, uh, clear here, especially... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to be a long night. It's, it's, uh, let's be clear here. You're not, you're not mostly dead. I'm speaking particularly to you Jews, you Jewish Christians. You're not mostly dead. As in Jesus saves us and now he saved us so that we can be righteous and somehow live up to our salvation and somehow contribute to it. And that's what makes us blessed before God, that we've been saved into a relationship that we maintain. No, no, no you're not mostly dead. You are all dead. You are completely dead because your condemnation didn't even start with you. It started with the first man, Adam. And it's counted, that condemnation, that condemnation, which is way bigger than you, is counted by the one man, Jesus Christ. But... Paul doesn't finish the sentence. That's the point he wants to make, right? That's the point he wants to make, to sort of rub in the first half of Romans chapter 5. 
But he just anticipates a, probably an objection mainly from the Gentile Christians. Hang on a second, what the heck are you talking about being born into sin? And so he breaks off the sentence literally halfway through and then goes off to try and explain what on earth he's talking about when he says that we've all died in Adam. And so that's what you get here in verses 13 to 14. Look, look at what he says. To be sure, to be sure, says Paul. Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. What's he arguing here? He's saying that rebellion against God didn't begin with the law of God given to God's people, the Jews, the Israelites. It didn't begin there. And that's not where it's fixed either. Sin and death way predates that. And it all began in Adam. And he, he, he acted, he sinned. Against a command, right? And there was this massive gap between that first command given to Adam, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will surely die. Massive gap between that and the law of God given at Mount Sinai hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years later, right? Massive gap. But nonetheless, Paul is saying, hang on a second, but everyone still died between Adam and Moses and you can't die unless you sin. That's what he just said in verse 12. Death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin, but there's no law. Yes, but they were still sinners and that's why they died. They were still born into sin. They were hardwired to sin. And they copied Adam's actions. They lived into just a, just a, a casual defiance of God. You know, we talk about casual racism or... Casual sexism, like a sort of a, a racism, a sexism, a bias that we're not even aware of. Well, there's this casual rebellion going on here, it's saying. We're not even quite aware of it. We just live as rebels against God because we're born into that relationship with God. And we act just like Adam, and so therefore we deserve condemnation like he did, and so therefore condemnation has come to all people. We've got a very serious problem, a problem that's much too big for us to be able to tackle or take on. And it says there at the end of verse 14, blah, 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 as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The one to come. There is a one to come who is like Adam in that his action will affect the many. His action causes the downfall, the condemnation of the entire human race. Everyone dies. And there's one to come who's in that pattern, whose action will affect everyone. But in reverse, and so that's, that's the answer here. Who can counter our condemnation? Well, the second Adam. The second Adam 
whose gift is gargantuan. The second Adam, whose gift is gargantuan. I'm trying really hard to make it sort of stick and memorable. (laughs) Perhaps not the best word, but whose gift is gargantuan. And the reason why I've said that is because Paul goes on to say, okay, there's this great comparison going on here that I want you to get. There's this meta problem that requires a meta solution, but I also want you to know that not only are you completely suck, Sorry. (laughs) Stuck. I'm really tired. Okay. Not only completely stuck, although we do suck in our sin. We actually had a whole mission campaign in one of the high schools I used to work in where we said, Do you suck? Jesus thinks you do. Just trying to explain to people that they're sinners. Uh, In a Christian school. So we we are not only is he trying to say that we are really, truly, not only is he trying to say, come back to me, not only is he trying to say, we are really stuck. We have a meta problem, requires a meta solution, but he's also wanting to say that we are really, truly saved. Properly, powerfully rescued. And so he says, yes, there's a comparison here between Adam and the second Adam, Jesus, but there's also a great contrast you can't really quite compare the power of the two actions of those two men. Look here in verses 15 to 17. He goes, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So he's offering a comparison, a compare and contrast moment. He's saying there's a similarity between the one man, Adam, who brought death, but there's also a great contrast. Adam, it's like dominoes. It's like Adam falls. Starting off all the dominoes, one domino. You just have to flick over the one domino, right? And it sets them all off. All the dominoes that have been set up fall over. But that one action, flicking that one domino, it makes sense. It's logical that the rest follow, right? They all participate in the falling of that domino. One domino knocks over two. Those two, they also fall independently of the first one, having been knocked over. They knock over another three or four, and so it goes. You participate in that first action, and it spreads like that, and it makes sense. And Paul is saying here, this is the key contrast. This is the key contrast. Condemnation followed one sin. From one man, and rightly so. That makes perfect sense. Adam, in God's creation, Adam who had God's breath breathed into him, who sustained by God, loved by God, Adam 
of whom God said, you are my image bearer, who's charged with ruling over God's creation under God, given this esteemed position. Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is woman that you're mindful of her? You've made us a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour. Who's deserving of such an honour? Adam was that man, made in the image of God. But he reaches out and he takes that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in willful defiance of the God who sustains him and loves him and told him not to do it. And so he now just doesn't belong. Adam just doesn't belong in God's creation, right? We know that. And so he 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 gets kicked out unto death. You just don't belong in my creation. You see, that would be a denial of God's character to allow Adam to remain in God's creation. If, if God let Adam stay in his creation, in a relationship of blessing, it would be saying that rejecting me as the ruling, loving, all-powerful God, that's okay. To leave Adam there. He, he, it's a denial of his own character to let Adam live. And so he dies and so the domino starts, right? Condemnation naturally follows from one action, from one man. What results in justification? Well, Paul is arguing here, the action of Christ is not like, the action of Christ that goes to many is not like the action of Adam that goes to many. All these dominoes fall. All the dominoes participate in the first action. All sinners, they, we participate in, 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 in what Adam did, his rebellion. And there are many acts of sin, right? And trespass, it says here, against God that follow on from Adam. So what should follow? Well, aren't we just piling up condemnation? Aren't we just ratcheting up God's wrath and anger and judgment against us? Of course we are. That's what we deserve. That's what should follow. But he's saying here, no, no, justification, unlike Adam's action, followed many acts of sin and trespasses. The difference between the gift, this gargantuan gift in Jesus Christ, is that it's a gift. We don't participate in what Christ did for us. That's the whole point. We did participate in what Adam did, and we do deserve condemnation. We do not participate in what Jesus did. And so he just freely gives us the gift of justification, that is rightness before God, a legal rightness before God. We can say we've never done anything wrong, justification, because of what Jesus did for us, and he just hands it to us. During the MCG, it's a world record domino attempt You've packed it out. You've flooded it with dominoes. It's taken weeks and weeks and weeks. And there's everyone there, cameras, officials. There's one guy who's the mastermind of it all. And you're just a humble assistant trying to help out with logistics. And your coat just taps one of the dominoes as you're walking by. And everyone's out of positions. The cameras aren't rolling. The people from Guinness Book of Records, they're there, but they're not really at their stations. They're not watching. And off it goes. 
And you're the assistant there looking in horror. In horror, going, oh my, I can't somehow take this back. I can't rewind. How can I unscramble this egg? You can't do it, right? He can't, he can't wait till it all knocks over, then goes to the last domino that falls over, flick it up, and just hope it reverses. Not going to happen, right? But Jesus is like just one little domino in the middle of the MCG after they've all fallen over, just pops up miraculously. And he says, okay, you dominoes out there, you've brought disgrace. Little squeaky voice. You've brought disgrace on this mastermind who's going for this world record attempt. You are a disgrace, you dominoes. You've all fallen over like everyone else. Way before you were meant to. It's ruined it. But if you trust in me and acknowledge you're part of the problem, I will lift you up right here and now. And little dominoes, one by one, say, please, I, I'm, so, I'm embarrassed that I was a part of this shamozzle. Pop, 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 pop. They're not participating in, it's just a free gift, right? That's the difference. It's a free, miraculous, this is the point. It's miraculous what has happened. It's not unjust. Jesus died on the cross with the sins of the world placed upon him. It's not unjust, but it is a gift. It is a miracle. It is the God-man, not born of flesh, but born of the Spirit, who did not inherit the sin of Adam, who was not hardwired to sin. He came and reversed the curse as a miraculous act of God, of grace, as a gift. So therefore, he says, how much more? Does this freely flow to the many? You don't have to be connected to what Jesus has done. You don't have to be in proximity, you know, somehow participating. No, you don't. You just have to receive it. Over here, Jesus, throw it to me. He does. Straight to you, directly to you. At Aspendale Presbyterian Church, I preached here on the weekend, they've got this sign. They've got this sign over the coffee and tea station that just says coffee and they've turned it into an acronym. Perhaps every second church does this. This is the first time I've seen it, so bear with me. It's got coffee and it's an acronym. Christ offers forgiveness for everyone everywhere. Coffee. Come and get your coffee. Christ offers forgiveness for everyone everywhere. It's meant to be a talking point. And I sat there and I thought, that's great. I love being reminded of that as I drink my coffee. And there is a spiritual reason why coffee is better. Win-win. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. But here's the point. What Jesus has done is lavishly available. There is no one too sinful, no one too powerful, no one too smart, no one too hidden away in the corner of the world, no one too young, no one too old. Anyone. It's yours. And the whole point is that you don't participate in what, he, what he's done because you are stuck. Meta problem, meta solution, right? So how can we counter our condemnation? How can our condemnation be countered? Well, through the second Adam, whose gift is gargantuan. And final point, through whom, dot, 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 I can't tell you, I need you now to discuss this with the person next to you. Just hang on a second, I'll set it up a bit more. 
because I want you to... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We've been so in sync until now. <laughs> We're getting a divorce, man. We're getting a divorce. <laughs> hey. Hey, settle on. Settle down. Okay. No, no, but actually... Okay, you, okay spoiler. Okay, I'll read it out. <laughs> Whose gift is gargantuan and through whom grace reigns. Okay, just go to the next slide. Through whom grace reigns. Thank you. Okay. Through whom grace reigns. Now, but maybe so that you really understand this point, I'll still get you to discuss something with the person next to you, so bear with me. Here we go. Verse, verses 20 to 21, it says this, and this is where Paul's wrapping up. The law was brought in, This remember? Remember? Jewish Christians, right? still wanting to somehow hang on to legal obedience and that, that being important to being right with God, right? Listen to what Paul says, it's dynamite. The law was brought in, why? So that the trespass might increase. What? Aren't we saved by Jesus in order to be the righteous, to fulfill the righteous requirements of law so that we can live up to this righteousness required by God? No, you've missed the point. Law was never, it never actually even properly revealed the righteousness of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. You say, do you know, I say, turn the other cheek. Like it's, it's saying you don't even really get what righteousness is. No, what was the law there for? To show you you're a sinner. And in fact, it even increased sin. You don't even, you're not even tempted, are you, to do some things that are wrong until you're told you can't do something and then you kind of suddenly want to do it. That's what it's saying here. The law was given so that sin may be revealed and so you can see how thoroughly sinful you are, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so this is the bit I want you to discuss. So that just as sin ruled and reigned in death, so also... Dot, dot, dot. What should that logically be? You can see that before, but what should it logically be? If sin reigns in death, if sin rules over us, leading us to death, what should it logically be? As an alternative to that, as a counter to that, what should it logically be? What should reign in eternal life? Sin reigns in death? What should logically rule in eternal life? Go, talk to the person next to you first. 30 seconds. What should rule? Okay. What have we got? Anyone in game to answer? If sin, if sin is shown to be on the throne because we all die, sin must be ruling over us, that's why we all die, what must be on the throne to lead to eternal life? Anyone? Shout it out. Logically, what should be on the throne? Righteousness. Why don't Jared? Was a president, so you know. Um, what should be on the throne? Like, what should be ruling over us if, if sin, if unrighteousness leads to death, how do you reverse it? Surely by being righteous. That leads to eternal life. Deeply ingrained Jewish understanding. That's why God gave us the law. He saved us by grace and gave us the law so that we can clean up our act and therefore enter into a relationship of blessing with God. It makes perfect sense, right? But this is what Paul is just trying to, to hammer into their heads. He's saying, look, grace might reign through righteousness to bring us to 
we have to be righteous to receive eternal life. Don't misunderstand. Like you, you can't be a sinner and be a part of God's kingdom. But you can't be righteous either. <laughs> because you are a sinner. And so the only way you and I, from beginning to end, righteousness has been revealed. Romans chapter 1, which is, by from, which is by faith from first to last. The only way you can be righteous is by grace. We stand in grace and therefore boast in this hope. Jewish Christians get this. Modern Christians get this. I get it. Ten Commandments, Old Testament. Yeah, we're not saved by obeying the law, but, right, we're saved and then in response to being saved, we obey the law, right? Wrong! Oh, I get it. We're saved by grace and then we obey the law as an act of thankfulness. We're not saved by obeying the law, but as an act of worship and as an act of thankfulness. Wrong! Why are you wrong to think that? Because you can do precisely zero to honour and glory, glorify God in and of yourself. Don't you get it? The reason why it says take off the old nature, put on the new one, the reason why it says you know, get rid of sin is because you've now been plonked into a new kingdom, a kingdom of blessing. The word here for sin that says is trespass, right? It's a great word for sin because it's not, it's not highlighting our rebellion against God. Trespass highlights the fact that you're in a wrong place. Trespass means, from the Greek word, off the path. As a sinner, you're in the wrong place, a place that is not conducive to blessing. You will not be blessed in the parallel universe of sin in which you live. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so when the Bible says, live up to the calling you've received, you know, take off the, the old sinful nature and put on the new nature, which is being renewed in the image of your creator God, it's not saying because that pleases God or that's how you worship God or that's how you glorify God, as if God needs your worship or as if God needs your glorification or, or if God is just hanging out for you to say thank you to him. Please, this is transactional. Look what I did for you. The least you can do is say thank you. Where are your manners, Christian? No. The reason why it says that is because you're now in a new kingdom of blessing and if you want to know the joy of being in relationship with God, get rid of sin. It's for your sake. God wants you to worship him for your sake. Not because you now owe it to him. And the law is not adequate anyway. Like the law is not a good thing to go to. <laughs> to understand the fullness of obedience, which is a joy to live in. Yes, it's hard because we're wider sinners. We're born in it. Yes, it's hard. It's counterintuitive. But it's the way of blessing. And God says, come, worship me, because I want you to live. And know the joy of being an image bearer as you're originally designed to be. Who can counter this condemnation? Only the second Adam. A meta problem requires a meta solution. Amen. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we um, thank you so much for your gospel.
And we thank you, God, for Paul's careful exploration of what it means to live by grace. God, please help us to understand it. And we thank you, God, that you've bothered to serve us so sacrificially, to patiently explain to us hard hearts and thick heads what it means to be saved by you. Help us, God, to receive it, to prayerfully gaze at it and look into it, and help us, God, to be transformed by it for, yours, for our sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.